Hey, over this Christmas season, I'll bet you sang one of our favorite hymns, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. We're celebrating the fact that light has come into a dark, dark planet and everywhere the gospel has gone, it's created incredible blessing and freedom and prosperity. But here's the question we want to address today. What would happen if nations that were liberated, that were living in the blessing of God, turn their back on the Lord, turn their back on the scriptures, turn their back on truth itself, and basically uh, reject the very source of their blessing. We're witnessing that in America. We're witnessing that in Western civilization. And today, in today's podcast, we're going to look biblically to get some deeper understanding into how this happens and what happens when we sweep the house clean, but we leave the back door open. You're going to love this podcast today. Uh, I hope you'll listen to it. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnston Discipleship Podcast. Hey, we wish you all a happy new year. 2024 is upon us, and uh, we're off with a bang here at Living Stones. Uh, this is the first week of the new year, as you all know and are well aware, but we have had a couple great nights of our uh, week one, which is our way of starting off the year, just pursuing Jesus with a fresh passion and making room for Him in our lives. Uh, as a church family, we're on a 21-day f- season of fasting, which has been awesome. I was excited last night at the meeting. I Hey, how many of you are participating or you know joining us? Yeah. And and the vast majority of the folks in the audience um, were doing some type of of fasting this month, and uh, and that's a new experience as as we shared for many people. Uh, and it shouldn't be because it's so much a, an integral part of not only uh, the the practice of the early church, uh, but the practice of every great move of God has been rooted in prayer and fasting. And so that's what we're after. And uh, we hope uh, you'll join us on that. There's some information on our website. Uh, at elstones.org if you're interested in learning more about uh, Daniel Fast. Uh, But we're going to jump in right away today and pick up on where we have been, talking about an amazing book, The Return of the Gods. And as you and I were just talking, this book's kind of shaking your paradigm a little bit. Yeah, and we were just kind of talking about how, you know, when we read the Bible, it the Bible in the story of the Bible ends in, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 AD or something like that. But but the story continues, and and this book gives really insight into basically the spiritual warfare that happened after Jesus' resurrection. Yeah, and the book, of course, we're talking about is The Return of the Gods, a great book by Jonathan Kahn. We encourage you to pick up a copy. In fact, I was talking with a good buddy of ours here at Living Stones who said, Pastor, I'm working work, working through the book with you and enjoying it, and, uh, and that's what we encourage some of you all to do uh, is grab a copy of the book. We're working through it systematically. We won't be able to cover everything, but we're going to hit the high points. But this book deals with the, the spiritual warfare and trying, as we'll get into it, trying to explain how a, an entire society can almost become spellbound. And, um, and it, you know, like we're looking at what's going on in the West or American culture in particular and going, how in the world, what, what happened? What, co- what country are we living in? What's happened to the America that we knew and loved is almost as if we've been taken over by a spell. And Jonathan Kahn really does a phenomenal job of talking about the spiritual warfare behind what's going on in the headlines. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, he really kind of, the way he's telling the stories, you kind of pull back the curtains. Yeah. You kind of see what the news media portrayal. Yep. And then he's like, okay, let's kind of pull back the curtain. Let's look behind that and what's 
in what's happening in the spirits in the heavenly realms. It's very interesting. Yeah. A little creepy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> As you say, it's, maybe, Sobering. Uh, maybe uh, the hobbits in Mordor have a little bit more uh, truth than maybe we, we gave it credit for. Uh, yeah. As you understand, historically, uh, again, the struggle between you know light and darkness. And as we shared in our last podcast, Christmas cannot be understood properly unless it's understood in the context of, of spiritual warfare. Um, and I love that song we sing, uh, a Christmas favorite, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And one of the choruses uh, or verses says he comes to bring his blessings, you know, or to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. In other words, when the gospel comes, there is a clash of kingdoms and the whole point of Jesus and what he did in his birth and his life, his death, his resurrection, his powerful ascension uh, was to uh, attack Satan's kingdom. He, he came to destroy the works of the enemy, and that is spiritual warfare. And that's what we want to talk about today is this phrase, the clash of the gods. Because the point we, we established last week is, is, you know, we talk about all the, the Greek mythology and all the various demonic spirits in the Bible, like Molech and those types of things. But behind those personages, so to speak, was, was, were principalities and powers. Uh, and we established that point in our last podcast. You know, Paul said, you're, you're offering uh, food to certain gods or whatever, but really what you're doing is you're offering uh, your sacrifices to demons. Uh, so you have this whole demonic pantheon that had filled the entire world, uh, regardless of which culture you go to, they might have a, those demons might have a different name, but it's the same spirit. Uh, it's this, it's the same demonic pantheon uh, that the Bible teaches us, and so it should come as no surprise that when the gospel comes, when when Jesus raises up his twelve and begins his plan of global conquest, that when the disciples went to various urban areas and big cultural centers, they ran into head on into demonic conflict. Yeah. Um, in fact, we see this even to backtrack when Jesus is you know showing up after being tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, he, he, he starts showing up in the synagogues and preaching and teaching and demons start manifesting. We know who you are. You're the son of God. You know, you're, you're, you're the holy one. Uh, I mean, you see this and he's also, you know, shut up. Uh, that, that word in the Greek, ekbalo, it's a powerful word. He, he, Jesus is literally casting the demonic uh, principalities and powers out of people and out of places. And, um, and it, it's no surprise that the, the apostles pick up right where Jesus left off. And so I want to read a passage or go to a couple passages today that, that uh, Jonathan Kahn refers to in his book just to give a biblical basis for what's really happening here. The first one is in Acts chapter 16. It's uh, Paul and Silas. It says, one day as they were going down, this is verse 16, they were going down to the place of prayer. They met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. So this is a demonized woman. And she, it says she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and the rest of us saying, quote, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until, as the Bible says, Paul got so exasperated that he turned to the demon within her. He didn't speak to the, to the girl. He spoke to the demon. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly, the Bible says, that spirit left her. Now, here's the problem. It says, her, verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. 
So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar. So in other words, this was a demonic deception over the whole city. Everybody was stirred up and they shouted uh, to the city officials, these people are teaching customs that are illegal. Uh, for us Romans to practice. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. So here we have them beaten, thrown in prison, uh, stocks put on them, clamped to their feet. Uh, the, the, the jailer ordered them to make sure that they didn't escape. And all it took at that point was around midnight, the Bible says Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praying to God. Uh, and suddenly a massive earthquake hit and, uh, and set them free. So talk about, you know, again, just this account. What a cra- That would be an amazing movie right there. That would be like <laughs> the Lord of the Rings yeah. uh, when you look at this. Um, a, a deliverance that took place, and, and what we had talked about too, you know, it's interesting that these people are not outraged that a, that a young woman is possessed by a demonic spirit. What they're mad about is that they were using this woman. I used to think of in our culture today the word trafficking. Uh, She was not being trafficked for sex, but she was certainly being trafficked for her ability to tell fortunes, speak into the future, and make them a whole lot of money. And I was just thinking as we look at some of the demonic deception in our culture today, so much of it is rooted, if you follow the money, it's rooted in somebody profiting off of whatever perversion that is being promoted. And it's no different. And so here we have a situation where as soon as they dealt with the demonic spirit, literally all hell broke loose in that city. And we have a mob form and things get, you know, things get out of control, things get wild. Um, and you know, I can't help but think we're seeing some of that very safe thing today. Mobs forming even now over the whole situation in Israel with, with Hamas. Uh, mobs forming in all of our cities on uh, to stop New Year celebration, Christmas celebration. And, you know, when you're in a mob situation, you can't, nobody's really ultimately in charge. It's kind of this demonic deception that just ascends over a crowd and things get out of control and there's violence that erupts and all kinds of chaos. The second situation I want to talk about is in Acts chapter 19. Um, it says that there's a uh, silversmith named Demetrius who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines to the Greek goddess Artemis. So this guy was making buku bucks, uh, selling little uh, figurines of the Greek god goddess Artemis. It says he kept many craftsmen busy, so a lot of people were employed by his, uh, his business. And it says uh, he calls them together. And listen to his, uh, his plea. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods are not real gods at all. <laughs> I love that. Uh, man-made gods are not real gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So here again, we have the example. Artemis is the, is the, um, the Greek god or goddess, but behind Artemis is a real spirit. Artemis isn't real. But the spirit behind her is real. And that's the spirit that Paul is going after. He's basically saying all these handmade fake little silver idols are not idols 
or not gods at all. He's attacking their theology. He's attacking their worldview. Uh, and the bottom line is, when you attack somebody's worldview, if it's centered around making money uh, or exploiting people, and now you're attacking uh, their real God, which is money. So let's talk about this, because I'm looking at, you know, we, we have this big argument for uh, legalization of marijuana. Um, what's behind it? Tax dollars. That's, that's the main argument. We have uh, a, a massive battle right now over abortion. What's behind the abortion industry? Blood money. Uh, dollars that are spent, uh, again, uh, money, billions of dollars made uh, profiting off of the, uh, the murder of innocent babies. What's behind the transgender movement and the mutilation of young people and their genitalia and, and this fake tra- transformation from one gender to another? What's behind it all? Billions of dollars. In fact, I don't know if you just saw in the news, uh, Governor DeWine from uh, uh, Ohio wow. just vetoed that bill. Well, interestingly enough, Governor DeWine has taken over $40,000 of campaign money uh, from the very hospitals that are promoting transgender ideology and the mutilation of children. So it's interesting. Um, we're dealing with the same battles, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's the same thing. It's rooted in money, uh, and it's rooted in, in the demonic. And that's exactly what Paul was running into. And, uh, and what happens in this situation is amazing because the parallels in our, in our culture today, it says their anger boiled, they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it says soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everybody rushed into an amphitheater, dragging Paul and a couple of his companions. But, you know, the point here is, you know, these, these Roman amphitheaters were massive. They were like uh, our modern-day, you know, football stadiums. And imagine that many people kind of spontaneously gathering uh, in the city and all chanting. It says they chanted for two hours straight. Great is Artemis uh, of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This mob behavior went on chanting the same thing. Imagine this. For two, think, think about just uh, in church, singing a worship song for two hours straight, you know. These folks are chanting the same phrase, demonic phrase, su- supporting a demonic being and demonic spirit for two hours. And, uh, and how do you explain, again, this behavior? It doesn't say they had a bunch of activist orga- organizers who were handing the, you know, handing the crowd notes about what to say. This is almost like a spontaneous worship event only for Artemis. Um, and it's a mob behavior, which again, we're seeing all over America uh, today, or at least we're seeing it in our urban areas. And so um, this is very much like, more like Lord of the Rings than maybe what we're used to seeing. I mean, I, yeah. share what was going on in your heart as we were talking about well, this. there's definitely religious zealotry. In, in this case, it's very evident. There's a religious zealotry towards Artemis, towards money. What do you want to call it? It's a religion. It's a, phil- it's a dedication. It's a dedication of yourself to this cause whether the cause is wealth or worship of Artemis and whatnot. It's the same reflection of our culture today. These mobs that forms are worship sessions. That's why, again, this book is kind of basically saying everything's religious. There's spiritual forces behind all these things. Well, and we talk about it in this podcast, which is committed to biblical worldview. Everything is religious. Everybody operates from a worldview. So I I love this because it's the same thing. You've got the the materialists 
all they care about is money, um, and that's their worldview. But there's and, a religious dedication to absolutely. Money. <laughs> like they will do so whatever true. they have to do to make yeah. sure that their Artemis figurine fact manufacturing continues to happen. Yeah, and, they, and I love the language. Oh, we're concerned about the respect of our great manufacturing company. Oh, and let's also mention that you know we're, we're we don't want to trash <laughs> the reputation. Politician like. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! I mean, this is such spin. But it's yeah. just it's the same thing yeah, we're dealing right. with today. Um, I just have one other thought. Can I, can yeah. I see the, that verse again? It, this is the first time it's ever hit me when I was reading it. The, in Acts, I think, 16, when Paul was Paul and I think it was Silas, yep. uh, they were being chased by, um, I don't know why I'm laughing, it's not funny, about that girl who was basically uh, possessed. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because she kept saying, these are servants of the most high God. They tell you how to be saved. And, and, and this went on for days. And it says in the Bible that Paul got so exasperated, eventually, that he, he, he cast, her, cast the demon out of her, right? And I guess it occurs to me the first time Paul and Silas are, 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 are very aware of the spiritual battle going on. There's a strategy to Paul and Silas. I, I almost felt like Paul was like, there's times that sh- should we even fight this battle right now? Because if I engage this battle right now, yeah, because um, he didn't deal with it immediately. He, he didn't deal with me. He he almost like wait till he couldn't handle her just like interrupting everything when he did. It wasn't just like oh I'm gonna go do whatever, because he was very strategic. Because he I think I'm sensing I'm feeling like Paul is aware of the strategic battle going on in the spirit realm that he's like I don't want to attack that too soon because I got to do some of this other stuff right. first. And there's a strategy to Paul that eventually he kind of casts well, this demon out. And I think too, just, uh, I've been chatting with different people in our church culture. Of course, we came off a series on spiritual warfare and folks just saying, you know, how, how new the concept is. And I want to compare that with New Testament Christianity, because notice Paul, if, if you're walking behind me mm-hmm. and, and obviously a human being and, and you're Saying, "Hey, these men are servants of the Most High." Hey, Ron Johnson, he's a he's a man of God, you know. And I, I, I most people today would turn, "Hey, Andrew, could you uh, appreciate the encouragement?" But yeah. it's kind of distracting. <laughs> right. Could you like I, not do that anymore? Yeah, once is and, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, can, can you guys please stop it? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Paul did not deal with the individual. He had he had enough discernment to realize this is a demon. Yeah. Um, this is not this young girl. This is demonic. What's taking place? And to your point, recognizing too when to choose your battle. Uh, when is it time to engage? When is it time not to engage? Obviously, this went on for some time to where he finally just said, "All right, enough is enough. I'm going to deal with that." And he spoke again to the spirit inside that woman. He did not talk to that woman. He talked to the spirit inside of that woman. It was a highly disruptive spirit. I mean, the spirit wasn't saying that to glorify Christ. It was saying that to disrupt what. Paul and Silas was doing, and he engaged it. And he saw what happened once he engaged that spirit. I mean, all hell broke loose. Yes, because it was, again, the point we're trying to make in our podcast today, it wasn't even just an individual demonic encounter. It, yeah. it was a spirit over a region. Because of the, the the worship of false gods, it created an atmosphere of deception and demonic presence that, yeah. that as soon as it was addressed in that particular individual, it sent a ripple effect, shockwave, you know, through the larger community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so you see, I guess what we're trying to say is there's these power encounters happening all through the Gospels. We saw it in the ministry of Jesus. And now in the book of Acts, which is the continuation, right, of Christ's ministry through the disciples, we see it over and over again. It, it was a battle back and forth. It, it, it wasn't just like, 
we're winning the whole time. I mean, we we cast a demon out and then we get thrown in jail, right? And yeah, then, right. I mean, there's mob and there it, it was a it was a skirmish just back and forth. You know, when you see the spiritual realm, you could see just like winning some battle, losing some battle. I mean, it was yep. it was it's intense. And I would encourage our listeners, you know, read the Gospel of Mark because every time you see a victory in Jesus' ministry, like the next paragraph mm-hmm. is to your point, a counterattack. Yeah. And you realize that there's ground being uh, fought for. There's a battleground. There, Jesus is setting captives free. He, Jesus is wrecking principalities and powers. Jesus is winning the battle, but it's not without a fight. And so when Jesus heals somebody, it's not unusual to find in the next chapter an attack. Um, or when Jesus, you know, casts the devil out of somebody, ah, the Pharisees show up and they try to kill him in the next, you know, in the next verse. So, uh, Again, it's you see the reality of the spiritual dimension, and as we've tried to share, imagine how dark and demonized this planet was prior to Christ's arrival, uh, and after 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testaments, uh, this was a dark, demonized planet. And so, when Jesus, the Son of God, comes right from his very birth, you see this demonic assault to try to destroy the seed, um, because Satan doesn't know it all, but he knows. Okay, something's afoot here, uh, and. And uh, and he is terrified, which is why you know you see Herod try to kill all the all the uh, infant children, and Mary's running for her life, and she has vision from an angel telling her, you know, head out and get out of here. Um, the whole thing is like this demonic um, war, you know, war zone that Jesus has come into as a baby of all things. Um, and so now we read through Jesus' life as a grown adult, his ministry. Now we're in the book of Acts. We're talking about the ministry of the, the apostles and the disciples. Uh, and basically the argument is this. Everywhere the gospel goes, there's power encounters. And everywhere uh, Jesus encounters darkness, Jesus wins. It's impossible for the light to be overcome by darkness. And I love the way uh, Jonathan Kahn describes it. This is if you're following along with us. This is on page 21. Because he talks about breaking the spell. He said, the breaking of the spell and its repercussions went far beyond the realm of pagan worship. The degradation of human life that was a typical of paganism yielded before the new belief that life was sacred. So these are some things I'm going to highlight here that that you alluded to in some previous books that we've covered, how the gospel, when it came in, literally transformed um, culture. So these are the these are the things that happened. So first of all, life became sacred. The individual was also sacred and so possessed immutable rights. Women were likewise sacred and were to be treated as equal heirs of the kingdom. And the poor and the weak were no less created in the image of God than were the rich and the powerful. Yeah, can I just pause yeah. right there? These are things that we have taken for granted. In yes. fact, it's been, it's been kind of almost weaponized uh, in the forms of Marxism a little bit in our culture today. But but. Let's, let's be very clear. These values we just stated, which we all believe in, and we is kind of a common standard for our Western culture or the world culture today, came from the gospel. Oh, absolutely. Before the gospel, those values are not are not standard at all. They're they're not even it's not even close. And, so. and what's sad is what what we call liberation and freedom. Uh, the left now calls colonialism. Yeah. In other words, when people came, missionaries came and preached the gospel and attacked some of these things, and, and, and this was the fruit of it, as you point out, the sac- sacredness of life, the elevation of women uh, as, as created in the image and likeness of God, the fact that socioeconomic status has nothing to do with your value as a human being. Right. Um, 
Every life was now of an inestimable value and equally precious in the sight of God. This is radical. Every realm of society was affected. Sexuality was now treated as a sacred gift from God to be honored and kept in the equally sacred vessel of marriage. As for little children, they were no longer to be abused or mistreated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to take their lives simply because they were unwanted so, so, was a crime. So, so you know, the, the, the story of Jesus, Jesus, called story, the, yeah. the account of Jesus taking the little children and says, hey, let these children come to me. Think about how his, radical his disciples didn't even believe in that. His disciples were like, get these kids out of here. Yeah, yeah you guys, what are his, you doing? Get away from Jesus. disciples, yep. good Jewish boys yeah. under the Ten Commandments, you know, were, were, were not understanding this, this principle the of the value of children, that Jesus came to transform even that part. So we can't just be like, oh, okay, we take those for granted. No, the gospel introduced these crucial things that all these principles that led to the prosperity in the world has never seen before. And, and every one of these points that were attacked yeah. by the gospel met with incredible opposition. I mean, every one of these issues was was a battle line. And I think again today about some of these things that are now being reattacked. You know, things that like the sanctity of life that we took for granted in western yeah. civilizations, they're being reattacked. It's almost like we have to go back to the battle line and we have to draw the line and we have to be willing to fight for these things. Um, he goes on here to say, um, as for emperors and rulers and governments and kingdoms, they could no longer claim the authority of godhood. They too were subject to God's laws and standards, as was everyone. I mean, that that's the foundation of America, right there. Um, anyway, so this was this was a massive, massive. Uh, battle that took place, and all of the deities, the principalities, the powers, the demons behind these evil worldviews were driven out by the gospel. But, but I mean, again, church history is important, right? Because absolutely, the the, the turn in the tide, the change in in these demonic strongholds throughout the whole world. It's not just the Middle East; throughout the whole world, that's been influenced by the gospel. Took. People laying, Christians laying down their lives, yep. took brave missionaries to go out to, yep. to go and, and for, for the cause of God, for skirmishes all around, both there were, were casually, both spiritually and physically, you know, and, and that's the battle throughout the whole world. I mean, the context of, of I mean, even Revelation talks about how these, these saints, their heads were chopped off. I mean, John had revelations about that, and, yep. and that's what— The, the uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, talks about so many who were sawn asunder, and the world was not worthy of them. Yeah. I mean, and we're seeing it today. The, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church. But to your point, all of the blessing and the prosperity and the freedom and liberty that we enjoy here in the West— came at the at the cost of incredible bloodshed um, where people were willing to die for the truth but but the truth always wins and I think that's the point the light always drives out the darkness and and so here we are living in a in, in a Western culture with unbelievable wealth and freedom and yet we're seeing all of this literally go down the drain um, and we're seeing witnessing this rise of kind of neo-paganism and and uh, a rejection of of the truth of the gospel which leads us and we'll, we might we have maybe about what 10 minutes or so to talk about this and we'll see how far we get um, but he says you know we Khan again we've broken the spell of all the demonic and all of these principalities and powers globally. We've seen the rise of wealth and blessing and the move of Christianity and, and civil liberty and freedom and the sanctity of life and all of these things which have led to a prosperity level that has been unprecedented in the world. And 
And now we're watching it all crumble. And I guess the question he's trying to address is, is why? How does this happen? And he goes to an interesting passage. And uh, why don't you read that, Andrew? It's in uh, Matthew chapter 12. Yeah. And we talk about this. And let's just deal with the first part of it as an individual application of the parable. But th- this is something we preach and teach at our Encounter Weekends. And we want to kind of get into this on right. a larger and, scale. And mostly you read this verse and you apply it to individuals and to yourselves but, but right. what, with the application to a nation is where it gets really interesting. Right, which is new, right. uh, a new concept, at least to many of us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, when the evil spirit leaves a person and goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none, then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So he returns and finds former home empty, swept in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. They all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So we, we use this principle at our Encounter Weekends because a lot of men and women experience tremendous freedom. In other words, the house has been swept clean. It's in order. Wherever there was chaos, brokenness, pain, uh, oppression, uh, we apply the blood of the cross and the victory that Jesus Christ has won, and people get set free. Sometimes it's, it's from demonic oppression. Sometimes it's from deep wounds and hurts, uh, from, from trauma in their lives. But the point is Jesus brings order. And we use this verse, and I believe it's a, it's properly applied but we use this verse to tell people hey monday is coming this weekend was powerful monday's coming don't you dare go back and open the door to what you just got free from in other words if you've been living in sexual perversion don't go back and open the door to sexual perversion because all that you just got delivered from they're going to bring seven other friends back mm-hmm. and you're going to be seven times worse off than you were before this weekend. Yep. Um, and so the principle is, you know, demons uh, demons are looking for a host. Uh, they are disembodied spirits. They're looking for a host. Um, and so they're running around, and they're, what are they looking for? They're looking for an open door. They're looking for some way when we personally, through the choices that we make, through sinful behavior, we open doors and we simply give them access into our lives. And the point is, once you've been set free, don't go back. And the Bible talks about a dog returning to its vomit and eating its vomit. Don't go back and eat the vomit you just got delivered from because you're going to be seven times worse off. So that's the parable. But but how does it, this is kind of a new application, at least it was opening my eyes. Jonathan Kahn says the parable gives a personal, you know, example, but its application is actually not personal. It's far broader. Talk about that a little bit. Well, that, because that was eye-opening. The end of the verse, it says, this will be experience of this evil generation. It's actually talking about the masses. A, a, a generation. It's a talking about culture, a culture. A society. A, a nation, perhaps. So what does it look like when a nation went through this process or maybe through, you know, the advent of the gospel? These evil spirits being cleansed, and then you build because of the prosperity of the gospel of all those values we talk about: valuing life, valuing women, valuing children, valuing education, valuing technology. Because yeah. God's got order, we create great prosperity, great order. But somewhere in the middle, middle of all this, we empty out our desire that the 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 holding the the hosting of the Holy Spirit, the hosting of God, and now it's empty. And we say we worship this emptiness because we say, hey, we're we're worshiping technology. We're now neutral. We're in neutral space now. We want our, our our halls of government to be neutral. We want our schools to be neutral. There's no worshiping any religion. To me, that is the greatest 
uh, example what it's talking about when the spirit comes back and finds it in order, but also empty. Yep. And you, you brought out a good point where obviously we chit chat before we go live on this podcast, but, but you brought out a really good point that we've highlighted on this podcast. There, there's no neutrality, is there? I mean, like either, either that house is either going to be filled with the truth of the gospel or that house will be a house of demons. Uh, there is no neutrality. And, and America has tried to suggest that the public square is supposed to be neutral. Public education is supposed to be neutral. Uh, uh, our, po- our, our, our public life in terms of, of politics, neutral. We're not allowed to bring the gospel in. We're not allowed to quote scripture in Congress. You know, We've even had, I think it was Nader from next door here in Illinois, uh, that was just boldly, vilely suggesting that the gospel and, and uh, Bible and those types of things have no, no right to be in this sacred chamber. In other words, this is neutrality that we're preaching here, which is not neutrality at all. Uh, when you when you when the house has been swept clean and we're living in a, a a nation of blessing, a nation where we say one nation under God, and then we tell God basically hit the road, get lost. Tell, we, we we don't allow the scriptures to be taught in our schools, or we don't allow prayer in our schools, and we don't allow the gospel in public life. We basically tell the Lord, "Thanks for all this blessing and all this kind of stuff, but we we don't need you anymore. Uh, we need you to hit the road." What, what we're basically doing is we're taking a beautiful house that's been completely cleaned of trash and perversion and garbage, and we're we're leaving the back door cracked, and we're saying, um, you know, hey. Uh, God, get out of here. We're going to just kind of cruise along neutrally now. We're going to, we're going to run it from here on out, but we don't realize it's in the back door. Every, every old demon, every old idea, because everything that we're dealing with now is just old pagan religion dressed up in new garb, but yep. it's the same old demons behind yep. it all. Uh, they just come in the back door. But the point is, and this was sobering, he actually said something that at first I didn't know if I fully believed, but he demonstrated it pretty strongly. What he, what he basically said is, is if pre-Christian, the pre-Christian pagan world is not as dark as what the post-Christian world will look like when we've had the light and rejected it, we've had the truth, Jesus Christ, and rejected it, he says post-Christian uh, America will be worse than pre-Christian America ever was or, or pre-Christian world. Well, the example he gives, <laughs> this is where the compelling case is the cases of Marxism and how many people die through Stalin or, or, or The 20th Nazism. century alone, I think it was something, 300, 500 million people murdered under under atheistic government. Right, and, and these are nations who used to be under, I mean, you talk about Nazi Germany, they used to be under the gospel. And because of the infrastructure, the organization, the technology that's created through the Western Civ and the gospel, now empty with a different spirit is, is more wicked than, is more destructive than it was even before all that. Yeah. You know? And find that part in the book, if you would, because I think that's a powerful part to read, just as we're talking about the post, post-world versus pre-world. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's sobering, because I think, okay, so we're looking at, at this radical transformation in the West, and we're going, how could we be embracing this absolute insanity that we're embracing now. Um, how can we be embracing, you know, when the videos came out, for instance, highlighting that Planned Parenthood was actually selling the, the, the organs of aborted babies for profit and joking about the, the expensive cars they were going to be buying, 
we're talking about selling, you know, mutilating babies and selling their body parts for profit. This is, this is disgusting. This this is worse. This is worse than any pre-Christian culture. Um, and, and when it was all exposed, we went after the person who exposed it yeah. and tried to attack them and destroy them instead of going after Planned Parenthood, who's actually the ones promoting all of this. So, did you find it? Yeah, it's right here. Go ahead and read that. What happened then, according to the parable, the repossessed house will end up far worse than at the beginning. Taking to the realm of world history means that a post-Christian civilization will end up in a far darker state than a pre-Christian civilization. If Western Civ turns away from God, what will come with it will be much darker and far more dangerous than it was in the days of paganism. It's no accident that modern world and not the ancient has been responsible for unleashing the greatest evil upon the world. It is no accident that when nations and civilization that have once known God turn away, when they turn against the Christian faith they have once received, then it, then it came upon them often be described in terms of the, the demonic. A pre-Christian civilization may produce a Caligula or Nero, these are yeah. Horrible Roman tyrants, <clears throat> but a post-Christian civilization will produce a Stalin or Hitler. I was like, ugh, that hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-Christian uh, society may give birth to barbarity, but a post-Christian society will give birth to even darker offspring, fascism, communism, and Nazism. A pre-Christian nation may erect an altar of human sacrifice, but a post-Christian nation will build Auschwitz. Yeah. Or Planned Parenthood. <laughs> so, Point well taken. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I was suspicious of that, but I thought, my goodness, that's that is right on track. And then you added, you know, you you add technology to everything, uh, and now we're seeing it at a whole different global level, uh, a la the uh, the the pandemic that we just experienced, and uh, uh, a well orchestrated uh, move by some by globalists, even now with what's going on in in the nations of the world. And again, this is all fueled by the demonic, which explains the the mass deception. Uh, that we're seeing gripping the planet. So I, I go back to, 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 maybe this is a good place to stop, go back to the Apostle Paul. If the Apostle Paul is trying to have a nice discussion with a demonized servant girl who's making tons of money for her uh, her owner, so to speak, um, and he is oblivious to the spiritual warfare behind everything, then he might, you know, form like a, a, a self-help group, 12-step program for this girl. Um, he might want to suggest, you know, uh, a whole host of alternative sec secular suggestions on how to deal with the problem, which is, I think, what the largely the church in the West is doing. We're fighting a battle <clears throat> that is massively demonic and spiritual in nature, and we're using natural means, which is why I want to point out activism alone, getting people elected alone, is not going to solve the deeper issues of our culture because they're not natural problems. They're demonic problems. They're spiritual deceptions. They're fueled by darkness and evil, and they involve a, a, uh, a spiritual solution, which is the gospel, repentance, turning from darkness, turning to light, embracing Christ, and, and the, the thing that nobody wants to talk about, actually obeying the Bible and what the Bible teaches, um, because it's the principles of the scripture that lead to human prosperity and blessing and flourishing. So we can't fight the battles in our culture today just by voter registration, although yes, we must do voter registration. Yes, we need good candidates, but we're, but these are just the, the, the surfacey type responses to a much larger uh, groundswell underneath, which is demonic in nature. And, and that's why it, it requires the church and God's people 
to know how to engage these situations and to know how to win and to know how to recover ground. Yes, there are practical things like we do need to get good people elected. And that's not we shouldn't, you know, throw that away or act like it's not important. It's very, very important. But I don't think that's going to happen. In other words, there's not going to be a culture receptive to godly leadership until we deal with the root of the problem, which is, which again, is spiritual warfare and demonic in nature. I mean, my take on that is I think this is a multi-pronged strategic issue. I mean, again, reading that book, uh, the book that changed the world, which yep. really has changed my mind and how the Western Western Civ is basically the influence from the gospel. Absolutely. It's through so many different areas. You see prayer intercessors, you see martyrs in their life, but you see great scientists influenced by the Holy Spirit or by the biblical worldview, yep. introducing ideas and concepts that change country. You see guys like William Wilberforce, who, yep. you know, in his <clears throat> dear love for Jesus, for, for freedom and Jesus, labor for years in, in the parliament. It, yeah. it takes people full of the Holy Spirit to stand in the halls of Congress and to say, you know what, slavery is wicked, abortion is evil. Uh, those those battles have to be fought by real people yeah. in real buildings and, and laws have to be enacted. All of that has to happen, as you pointed out. Um, but we've got to understand, we've got to use the weapons that God has given us, uh, and, there's, and those are spiritual weapons. Yeah, and I think we need to recognize what's behind the scenes. We need to recognize what's really happening. We, we need to have the eyes to see. But, I, I, you know, we mentioned that passage when, with, the, with the Oracle Delphi. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's appropriate to kind of... Yeah, jump in. Jump in and talk about... So this is at the end, this is near the end of the, the casting out of the, the domineering spirit, at least in the West, the, the Roman Empire. This yep. is in AD 362. You know, I never read anything like this before. This is so interesting, okay? So, so we're going back to the time which... Through the advent of Christ, uh, the Western world, the Roman Empire, is starting to re- lose. The, the tide of war has been changed. Yep. And, and Their pantheon of gods has been attacked by the gospel. Yep, yep. And then in the year 362, so about 300 years or so after the resurrection of Christ. So the, the battle's been going on the whole time. Oh, yeah. Martyrs are losing their lives. Missionaries going out and preaching the gospel. Christian worldviews advancing, Okay. The pagan Roman emperor known as Julian the Apostate attempted to restore the Oracle's temple to his former glory. And you got a little history on Oracle of Delphi. They're basically these demonic, yeah. uh, I don't know, A demonized woman who, uh, uh, in a trance, begins to speak. Uh, the demons begin to speak through her and, prov- and provide wisdom for government officials. They would go to these uh, oracles, and these demons would, would provide uh, Wis- wisdom, wisdom to know what to do. To do yeah. So this emperor, he sent a representative to, to consult her. She sent back a word that would become known as her last pronouncement. It was recorded that she said this, Tell the emperor that my hall has fallen to the ground. Phobos, or the god Apollo, which is like the sponsoring god of Delphi, no longer has his house, nor his mantic bay, nor his prophetic spring. The water has dried up. Come on. <laughs> the gods have been exiled. The possessing spirit has been cast out. No longer could they take possession as they did in the earlier days. They, nor could they direct empires with their prophetic utterances. Their oracles has grown silent. That's the vision. <laughs> and that gets me fired up when, yeah. when a demon is saying, sorry, I got nothing. <laughs> out, out of business. <laughs> out of business. The well has gone the dry. The well has gone dry. <laughs> and, and that's a powerful picture of what the gospel is supposed to be doing. Yes. Amen. 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 And that's the hope that we have. So, so folks, we have the victory. We've got we've got the evidence on our hand. Our, our, uh, our God reigns. Our God brings 
king's blessing but we're we're seeing a rejection of this god in american culture today and boy we've got to we've got to proclaim him louder and stronger than ever before so hey we've gone long i hope you've enjoyed this but it's been a good podcast today there's more of this coming we look forward to seeing you guys next thursday